This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. Yeah, he is a locker room divider. He can be a problem. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. I'm always going to talk about us. You know, there's, there's a, they have a great program, and there's a lot of other great programs out there. So that's how John Shire is going to refer to North Carolina. I'm going to talk about us. We don't need to talk about them. Good luck with that. Got a feeling that after what happened last year, that's going to be a question you face quite a bit, John Shire. Not just leading up to the season, but when the season begins, Duke's going to be put side-by-side side with North Carolina. And I think a big reason that is, not just how last year ended, but I think if Duke gets Trevor Keels back, they're going to be a preseason top-five team, or at least they should be. I think North Carolina is going to be number one in the preseason poll, especially after they add somebody in the portal. I think it's probably going to be a starting-caliber player to replace Brady Manick. And that will be historic if both Duke and North Carolina are ranked top five in the preseason poll. You'd think it would happen more, but this has only happened one time over the last close to 25 years. What year was that? Since the turn of the century, 2016. Okay. So around six years ago, that was the last time that it happened, and North Carolina went on to win the national championship in 2017, that next spring. But Duke really likes its chances of giving Trevor Keels back, based on everything I've been told. Shire, he hasn't strongly pursued a starting shooting guard. Instead, with all that recruiting prowess and all the five stars they're able to land, the two guys they've gotten through the portal, reserves from Harvard and Northwestern. Everybody give them applause. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Now, why is that? You got a starting spot opened at shooting guard. Well, I think they believe there's a really good chance they're going to get Keels back. And if they do, massive, massive deal. Actually, one of those guys that they signed, I think it was Young from Northwestern, Keels even posted about it on social media. Only short of saying, like, can't wait to play with you. Oh, wait, I'm I'm still going through the draft process. Duke is one of the schools that I think has legitimate, true NIL opportunities. All the I'd say the vast majority of schools do not. Oh, but Josh, a lot of other schools have NIL. No, 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 no. They are paying players to try and get them to go to their school. That is pay for play. That is not. Your brand is so big that we need to have posters. We need to have billboards put on the building for the great Leaky Black. That's what we need. What's going to sell our product? Leaky Black will. I'm sure that's the case. With all due respect to Leaky. But I think NIL right now is essentially just paying guys to stay in school or come to their school. Duke actually has a true NIL opportunity. And what I mean by that is there is no brand in college basketball that is bigger than Duke's. If you don't believe me, this is not an opinion. Go look at how many followers Duke has on Instagram and on Twitter relative to any other program in college basketball. They have millions, plural, more than anybody else. Because they recognize where this was going a long time ago. You can find videos back when John Shire was playing, when Duke Basketball Planet was putting out videos for social media, when nobody else was doing that. They built the brand. Obviously, how you perform dictates how many people would be interested in that. What Coach K built, his level of being polarizing, that factored into this too. But the fact is, if you're a star at Duke... You have the chance to be a legit household name in sports. Zion Williamson was a bigger star his season at Duke 
than I'd argue any basketball player in college and in the pros. Zion Williamson's Duke games were outdrawing head-to-head games that LeBron James was playing in, or Steph Curry. And a big part of the reason that was that he was able to become that type of a celebrity, that type of a big-time brand, was because every Duke game was on ESPN. The NBA has rules how many times you can have a certain team on national broadcast. There are rules against such things. Not in college basketball. Every single one of Duke's games is going to be put on ESPN or on a massive platform. So if you're a returning player at Duke, like Jeremy Roach is, or like Trevor Keels is, those those guys check the boxes. And Trevor Keels, with all due respect to Jeremy Roach, he is a different caliber of player with a different kind of upside than what Jeremy has. He has the chance to be a special player at Duke. This was John Shire talking about what Keels brings yesterday. I think just just like a lot of things in, in college basketball right now, you have to be flexible. I don't think it's a uh, – there's – no matter – look, no matter what, there's no substitution for Trevor Keels. He's, he's an incredibly special player. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, Steve, we haven't even talked to Trevor about that. Our thing with him has been, you know, act like you're going. Like, go through it, attack it. You can't be half in. Yeah. But then why haven't you brought in a starting shooting guard? We're acting like he's not going to be here. He's going all in. Who are the guys you brought in to replace him? Oh, you know, a couple of bench players from Harvard and Northwestern. Got it. Duke likes its chances of getting Trevor Keels back. Don't listen to the words. Follow the action. Speaking of action, the most impressive sports feat, or I'll just say physical feat, in the triad today was actually done by a friend of mine named Mike. And what did he do? Are you familiar with the Waffle House Challenge? I'm not, but I saw on your Twitter you were posting about this. Yes. So he did the half Waffle House Challenge because we had a large group of people go into a college basketball poll from our church group. I go to church in Winston-Salem, and (laughs) whoever finished last place would agree to do half of what the normal waffle challenge is. It's still quite a hike, but here's what it is for those who are uninitiated. You have to sit at a Waffle House and eat in the normal Waffle House challenge 24 waffles. However, if you don't or can't eat 24 waffles, there is a way out. You can... For every hour you sit there, that number goes down one. So if you sit at the Waffle House for 12 hours and eat 12 waffles, you're gone. You get to leave the Waffle House. But that would require you to eat 12 waffles, and you're still at that place for 12 hours. So if you cut it in half, it was 12 waffles that he had to consume or sit there for 12 hours. And he showed up this morning at the Waffle House on Peters Creek Parkway at around 4.30 in the morning. And he ate waffles. He ate seven waffles. So he was out of there at 9.30 this morning. I was there when he ate the final bite of the final waffle at 9.30 in the morning. So he sat there for five hours and consumed seven Waffle House waffles. He said he was full after the third one. So the four waffles he ate, the last four, he was full during. How's he doing right about now? I don't know. I haven't checked on him since then. He looked pretty good when I saw him. How do you think you would do with that challenge? I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm sure. (sighs) Like the full one? Yeah, let's talk about the full one. Let's go there. How would I do with that? I think I I could do 12 waffles in 12 hours. I do. That's a long time. (sighs) You could pace. It's like a marathon. It is a marathon. It is. Not probably going to take longer than that to be honest so that sounds terrible it does i probably can't eat more than 10 waffles so i'd probably have to sit there for 14 hours and if that's the case what's the best time to show up his strategy he watched a star wars marathon is what he did i like this guy yeah so mike said he watched a star wars marathon 
And then he saw how other people were holding up doing that challenge on like Twitter threads and such. He got through it earlier today. You big Waffle House guy? Yeah. I am too. I haven't eaten Waffle House in a long time. Versus IHOP, which one you I used to, when I sold books door-to-door, like educational books door-to-door in Texas for a summer, 80 hours a week I worked, I used to go to a Waffle House every single morning, get the same exact thing, and I forget what I got, but I used to eat there every morning. I don't think I've been to, I've maybe gone to Waffle House since then, and that was in 2012. I, I probably have been as many times as I can count on my hand. Yeah, I've been since times. college. It's it's uh it's the official breakfast of college hangovers. I've mm-hmm. found. Yeah, breakfast, breakfast of hangovers, or like you go there after, while while you're still in the act. No, that's more of a cookout run. Yeah, uh, from what I see, the the morning after one is just like oh. At East Carolina, it was Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's. That's yeah, it was right one. there downtown. That makes sense then. In Greenville, I think it's still there. I don't know. They like to party in Greenville. They do. He's got a lot of knowledge about things I'm curious about, and he's cool. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. We'll talk pucks with Adam Gold when he joins us in five minutes. It is Star Wars Day. Happy May the 4th. To Super Star Wars nerd Will Dalton, who is the producer of this show. And one of the things I bang on Will about quite a bit is that he's not cultured. All the movie references I make, he doesn't get them. Because aside from Star Wars movies, he hasn't seen anything. And he's somebody that prefers TV instead. So today, Star Wars reigns supreme, so he's qualified to talk about that. And he's also more qualified to talk about something that's newsworthy in these parts as well, or more qualified than I am at least, because I know only by name recognition that Outer Banks is a show. It's on Netflix. But the reason why we're talking about it on this show is because season three is being filmed, and Armando Baycott... was on set today, and he's expected to play a character named Mondo. So, you watch more TV shows than I do. Bring me up to speed here on Outer Banks. Don't necessarily need to know what the plot and all that is, but... Yeah, because it's been a little while since I watched, but I can give you the the rusty overview. What kind of role could Mondo play on the show Outer Banks? Hmm. Well, if I had to guess, so where we leave off in season two, um, the main cluster of characters, they're basically washed up on an, an island, castaway style. Spoiler alerts for anyone who yeah, hasn't spoiler seen. Spoiler alerts. Um, after they escaped this big ship, because the, the whole, the main overview of the show is like a, a quest for treasure. There's just yeah. like this it's piece on of the treasure. beach. Yes. And, and some it, of it's not like factually accurate. Like, oh, yeah. there's a Chapel Hill ferry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Give me the ferry that goes from the Outer Banks to Chapel Hill. Right. I'd like to see that. And it's kind of like in Righteous Gemstones, which is set in the Carolinas. They caught baby Billy shopping in the Winston Salem outlets. Not the or it was the Tanger outlets in Winston Salem rather than Mebbin. But, you know, minor details here. What could you see Mondo playing? Well, Mondo, so the the island that they wash up on, they name it Poglandia mm-hmm. because there's pogues and there's kooks. Kooks are like considered the rich preppy types on the outer banks and the pogues are like the the rebels and kind of like the troublemakers Got it. of the area, so the, is, the not so well off. So is Baycott a pogue or a kook? Oh, he's absolutely going to be a pogue. And my my assumption here is that he's actually going to be on their island and he's going to find them somehow, maybe. But that's just my assumption. That's what I could see him playing in. That's the role I could see. Adam Gold going to join us in just a bit. 
will continue to follow that. I don't know if it'll make me watch this show. I don't watch a lot of TV shows, infamously. But I will say that Baycott's Twitter handle, a fun, fun follow at I get underscore buckets 35. You can follow the North Carolina big man. And he's getting a lot of attention. In fact, there's a TMZ story about this that he's retweeted. Carolina basketball posted a picture of the entire cast together and Baycott wearing swim trunks. And Cole Anthony responded by saying, damn y'all, my boy, I get Buckets 35 about to be a movie star. To which Baycott responded with, stop being stubborn and come join. And this is after our guy Armando posted on social media at Matthew Mayer's Twitter account, the Baylor big. Don't make me come kidnap you, bro. You know what's up. That's high quality recruiting. That's perfectly legal for players to do. As you can hear, Adam Gold has joined the show. Are you en route to PNC Arena, Adam Gold? Yes, I'm uh, right now behind a landscaping truck. Outstanding. Noon to three, you could listen to the Adam Gold Show. So the Canes, I don't know if you've heard, have outscored the Bruins 21 to two, counting regular season meetings thus far. A lot of people are making a lot. 21 to two, excuse me. Um, That counts. 21 to two. Yes, 21 to two. Yes. My fault. In what area... Has the gap been widest between the Canes and the Bruins through the five games you've seen this season? All right. Well, um, th- well, this has been four. This will, th- this will be the fifth. Yes. Um, I don't think the – first of all, there was almost no gap between the teams Monday night. The only gap was the scoreboard. Boston had plenty of chances to score, uh, except late uh, when Carolina really shut it down. Um, so, but I think Carolina is simply a better team. Their, their 18 skaters are better than Boston's 18 skaters at this point. To me, the biggest difference between the Bruins, you know, two years ago and three years ago, what is the fact that David Krejci is not there and David Krejci had like, and it, he was like, uh, playing against the, the chess computer. He was big blue, right? He was amazing. And those are Dano Char. Uh, and the goaltending's not the same, but I don't think the goaltending's the issue. I just think Boston's 18 skaters aren't as good as Carolina. On Twitter, at AGoldFan, you can follow him on social media and listen to the Adam Gold Show right here on WSJS Sports. When do you suspect Freddie Anderson will be available? Second round. That's just my guess. That I've never thought everything I saw, and I actually reached out to a friend of mine who is uh, a national hockey writer uh, who was saying that the Canes expect Freddie Anderson back for the, uh, for the start of the playoffs. And I sent him a DM and I'm like, look, your information is always amazing, uh, but my information is the opposite of this. And I feel like I'm plugged in. Uh, I said, I think they would hope that he might be back at the end of the first round, but their, their like reality is probably round two. Um, so I don't think we're going to see Freddie until uh, the end of next week. So maybe he gets back in for a game six or a game seven if there is in this series. But I think it's they've always hoped that he would be available for round two. Adam, we brought up this story in regards to Gary Bettman's appearance at PNC Arena a couple nights ago and talking about making the arena more modern and upgrading things, which it seems everybody's on board for, and what we might expect that area to look like. There's some conversations about bar and restaurants there and enhancing that entire area, but they also share that parking lot with Carter-Finley Stadium, which I think... I'm an East Carolina major, but so I'm not that great at math, but 
I mean, they fit a lot more people in that building and require a lot more parking than you might need at PNC Arena. Where is the tension in this story? Because it doesn't really seem like the tensions between the taxpayers wanting to have those upgrades and not agreeing that they're necessary to be upgraded. It seems like it's more fans wanting things the way that they are currently in the parking lot. A uh, complicated issue, three entities, Centennial Authority, Hurricanes, NC State. And what the Hurricanes want to do should have no impact on the high-dollar tailgating spots for Carter-Finley Stadium. Nothing on the stadium side of the plaza is, according to the plans that I have seen, scheduled to be changed. So uh, all the gravel lots that are on the stadium side are going to stay exactly what they are if they choose to be that. Now, if I were that, um, and I saw what was planned for uh, PNC Arena and the 80 acres that are adjacent to that on the, we'll just call it the west side of PNC Arena, I would be all about making my gravel lots look better than gravel lots. But if they choose to keep them as that, that's their prerogative. But this is a, this is not, for just sprucing up the arena. Sprucing up the arena is about one-fourth of this project. If you're familiar with the North Hills section of Raleigh, which has some hotels and retail and uh, big buildings and all of that, uh, or sections of Uptown Charlotte, not the whole thing, that's what Tom Dundon wants to do. He wants to create an entertainment district with green spaces with uh, music venues, um, obviously it's an improvement arena, but with hotels and offices and residential spots. I mean, he wants to create another part of Raleigh. And I don't know why anybody, given, you know, within cost reasons, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want that. This is how you get events. Like right now, there aren't very many spots in the United States with an arena that is detached from everything else. And that's what TNC Arena is. It's not connected to anything, by anything. You can drive to it, and then that's it. There's nothing around it. Is there another arena in the United States in a major sports city? That has that? Only one I could think of is Kansas City. That there, if you've ever been there, you have those two stadiums right. and a parking lot, and there's nothing else around. That's it. Right. That's that. That's it. Like, there's more to do here. <laughs> there is more to offer, and that's what Tom wants. It'd be obviously it's beneficial for him, but something like that would be really beneficial for everybody. And we're not going to lose the high dollar tailgating section, uh, and. You know what? You can even tweet their deal by throwing up some first. There's going to be about, I don't know, four to $500 million worth of infrastructure that has to be a part of it. Uh, but even though Tom Dunn did that, he's willing to finance basically the entire um, area uh, of you know, renovation, not the, not the arena. Uh, Centennial Authority will do the arena. Tom will build around it. Um, he said he'll do that with his own money. I'll believe that when I see it. Hmm. But I, I just think it would be beneficial to everybody for a project like this because it would make it so much more valuable and so much more attractive to everything else. Makes sense to me. Adam Gold should be in charge of the project. But but for uh, now... Maybe. maybe I'll run for governor. I'm all about it. On Twitter. Start the campaign now. AG for governor. On Twitter, at fan. For now, we just listened to him on WSGS Sports from noon to 3. We'll talk to you next week, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Uh, no problem. Anytime. Oh, 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 and may the 4th be with you. I'm required to say that oh, to guests today. Oh, get out of here with that. God, I'm so over that. Yeah, Will Dalton's better a huge Star that Wars nerd. Yeah, that's him. He prefers nerd over dork and also geek.
He prefers nerd. That's what he prefers. AJ. Yeah. So they're all go. they're all applicable. There you go. Adam Gold. He's nuts. You sound insane. Do you realize that? You should be medicated. This is the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Darren Bott will join the show in 15 minutes if you have unusual questions for us to answer on Twitter at WSGS Sports. You can chime in with those. There was another rejection in the NBA last night. This time it wasn't Draymond Green. It was Dylan Brooks getting tossed a few minutes into Game 2 of the Grizzlies and Warriors. And the only thing missing from it was a lecture from Coach K. This might be a bit deep cut for some. But you might remember, Dylan Brooks was the Oregon Duck that Kay pulled aside in the post-game handshake line after a Sweet 16 loss for the Blue Devils. Dylan attempted a three with about five seconds remaining and Oregon just running out the clock up by 11 points. Kay was asked what he said after the game. He said he didn't say anything to Dylan Brooks of note. Dylan Brooks said Coach K told him, you're better than that. And there's audio that says Coach K said, you're too good of a player to be doing things like that. It was the dumbest Coach K controversy out there, right next to the time where Coach K asked a student what his major was. Oh, God, so terrible, that Coach K guy. I'm glad he's gone. Oh, with scandals such as this. So glad he's gone. How dare you pull aside a player and say you're better than taking a shot up 11 from 35 feet with five seconds left. How dare you talk to your own players. Was that a Twitter impersonation? No, that's just an impersonation of people that aren't even on Twitter. That you could tell hate Duke. And it sounds like this is a popular thing I get. Oh, Josh, you're so clearly a Duke fan. So clearly you're defending the Blue Devils. Well, no, I just don't hate Duke. The thing is, this is what's funny. I like Duke the same that I like North Carolina. And Carolina fans freaking hate that. They do. I'm not a fan of Carolina. I'm not a fan of Duke. The Chick-fil-A sandwich I eat later on tonight will taste the same regardless of what happens to those two teams. Same thing with State, same thing with Wake. I am not a fan. I like all of them the same. I do. And so, I will defend Carolina the same way that I tried to defend Duke. But you just notice when I defend Duke because it seems like nobody does. Because a lot of people dislike Coach K. And that's okay. But bringing it back to Dylan Brooks, it was a dirty play, but he's not a dirty player. It's a dirty play because it was kind of like, if we're going to bring it back to Duke, remember when David Collins took out Wendell Moore earlier this year? The problem was, you fouled him while he was up in midair. That is something every basketball player knows you shouldn't do. And good on Steve Kerr for pointing this out after the game. The way that he spelled it out was, Dylan Brooks violated the player's code. I don't know if it was intentional, but it it, it was dirty. And... um... You know, playoff basketball is going to, it's supposed to be physical. You know, everybody's going to compete. Everybody's going to fight for everything. But there's a code in this league. There's a code that players follow uh, where you you never put a guy's season slash career in jeopardy by taking somebody out in midair and clubbing him across the head and ultimately fracturing Gary's elbow. It was a dirty play. He's not a dirty player. Something we are encouraged to do. This is J School 101 in the media, and I think fans should follow suit in it. Criticize the actions, not the actors. Criticize what they do, not the people that are doing it. It's kind of like if you tell your partner that they lied about something. Hey, why did you lie to me here? And they say, are you calling me a liar? Tip to everyone, 
tip to the fellas, namely, don't call them a liar. Say, you're not a liar, but you did lie here. Both those things could be true, and I think it's true of Dylan Brooks. Part of me believes it's part of the culture down there in Memphis that things like this can happen at times. Not to say that they foster dirty play or that Taylor Jenkins is a dirty coach or anything of that sort. No, no, no. Going back to Zach Randolph and Tony Allen and the old grindhouse days, they had this identity that represented Memphis, and they loved the Grizzlies down there in Memphis, if you've ever been down there. Kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a different place. The kind of unique to itself. But the team with different players, and this is what's different and kind of unique to them in the NBA. Even without Randolph and Tony Allen on the roster, they still embody that same style, that same type of approach that's very physical. It's intense effort. It's a lot of bodies. It's the grindhouse. And at times, they push the envelope. And sometimes... They test the boundaries. And when you test boundaries, you might cross the line sometimes. And that is what I think happened with Dylan Brooks. And it could easily make this series a lot more interesting than I think it should be. Because Gary Payton Jr., who's not going to return the rest of the series with a broken elbow, according to Kerr, he was the primary defender on Morant. And once he left the game, Clay Thompson coming off those two injuries, he couldn't keep up with that foot speed. No chance. And I don't know many guys who can. So they're going to have to figure things out defensively now that you're not going to have Peyton the rest of this series. 336-777-1600 if you want in on today's show. Let's go to James and Clemens before we get to Darren Vaught joining the show. James, what do you have for me today? Buddy, I want to help you out because I've been around a little longer. The word liar, no matter what you say, doesn't work. I agree, but you could say they lied. You could say they lied. You just no, can't call them a liar. No, you, you don't even say that. All right, help they me out then. Me something that didn't come true. So let me write this down. Let me have this. That wasn't true. Okay, you told me something that wasn't true, but don't call it a lie. It's, right. Much like if I said I don't know that your parents were married when they had you, I could call you something else. <laughs> that's excellent same concept both ways are nice I-, I went with a nice way of saying it i appreciate that thanks james that's so, good advice i'm getting married next month and the type of advice i need around here let's talk about the canes the carolina hurricanes game two tonight against the boston bruins big time game for <laughs> This might be too dated of a reference for Will Dalton, but the Canes need to go Cobra Kai. All Cobra Kai on the Boston Bruins tonight. Sweep the leg. Yeah, we're going to need to adjust. Mortal Kombat. There you go. How about this? Like, Rod Brindamore needs to deliver the finishing move tonight. Finish him. Finish him. Fatality. I think the folks here get the idea. The Canes have a real opportunity to not only take command of this series, I think they have an opportunity to break the Bruins' spirit if they can win in dominant fashion once again. The heartbeat of this Bruins team is their top line. When Carolina lost in 19-20, and 20, it was because of guys like Marchand and Bergeron. I think Pasternak was on those two first lines, was on the first line for those two teams. Now it's DeBrusque who's on the right, but those four guys combined, all still on the roster, amounted to exactly zero points on Monday night. And Carolina won 5-1. to one. So why did that happen? Jordan Stahl was on the ice, Carolina having last change, quite a bit of that game, and locked down that Boston top line. They didn't have a lot of great chances in it. If Carolina could do that again, they're going to be in great shape. So keep a close eye on what that top line does from Boston. Tonight feels like it will probably set the tone for the rest of the series. If the Canes dominate again, it's two zip, and both games would not have been that close. Really, all five played this year would not have been that close. The first four, Carolina's won by a combined margin of 21 to 2. So if that happens, I think this is probably a sweep or a five game series. If Boston wins, though, 
it's 1-1. And many of these guys that were on the 19 and 20 teams feel like, all right, same old Hurricanes. We'll beat them. We got home ice back. And it's probably going to be a long series, six or seven games. That's how big tonight is, in my opinion. And I like Carolina to win. Not in dominant fashion, though. I think Carolina wins by one goal. It could even go to overtime. Three two canes, and the difference is going to be another guy that wasn't on the score sheet the other night, Jordan Stahl. Great defensively. Didn't amount in any of the scoring. No assists, no points. I think the captain going to emerge for a big moment. Carolina 3, Boston 2. Canes take a two-zip lead in this series after tonight. Will, we've got unusual questions. We're going to play with Darren Vaught. Give the folks an example of an unusual question we might be addressing. Like a tease or? Mm -hmm. Or just one of the questions you have. All right. I'd like to get into what would be considered an overrated food. Okay. That and some baseball talk with Darren next. He's really, really cocky. Hold on and go with the ride. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Darren Vaught now joining us. You know him from USA Baseball. You know him as the... High Point Basketball, play-by-play man for ESPN+. And usually when you join us, Darren, we play unusual questions. Today will be no different. We'll ask unusual questions in just a little bit. But I want to talk a little baseball with you. Going through some scores today, the most noteworthy thing that happened was when North Carolina native, shouts to Hickory, Madison Bumgarner, was ejected in a dispute with the umpire involving air quotes, illegal substances that he was using while on the mound. But when you watch the video, it didn't really seem like the umpire was checking anything specific. And then there were words exchanged and suddenly Bumgarner was gone. I haven't seen any post-game comments from Bumgarner after the win for the Diamondbacks. They ended up winning 8-7 to against the Marlins. Some other scores today. Detroit 3, Pittsburgh 2, San Diego 5-4 to four winners against the Guardians. The Cardinals took out Kansas City at Kauffman 10 to nothing. the final in that one. Houston 7, Seattle 2, and then some games that are in action right now. You've got uh, the second half of some of these doubleheaders between San Diego and Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Detroit. Early on in both those games, top 8 in Oakland, no score between Tampa and Oakland, and a runner on third for the Rays currently. Getting into what just happened with Bumgarner, though. Fascinating guy. Like, he's almost, he's a walking folktale. Going back to him and his wife, like, capturing a rattlesnake in in their yard way back when on the West Coast, killing the snake, and then finding a bunny, a baby bunny inside the snake, and then nursing it back to health and releasing it back into the wild. Ben Scully once told that story way back when. Uh, There was another story where Madison Bumgarner apparently was dating somebody named Madison Bumgarner in his small town of Hickory. That was was the big one. Don't forget Madison Bumgarner having a a girlfriend in high school named Madison Bumgarner also. Not related to him either. (laughs) And there's nobody in Major League Baseball today even named Madison other than him. So he's a walking folktale. What do you know about what happened here? Uh, Not much other than one thing is becoming very, very abundantly clear in major league baseball. And it's that pitchers do not like umpires. And that's, I, I guess sort of always been the case, but maybe they have idealized notions now that more and more and more people are clamoring for this automated strike zone. Um, we saw Max Scherzer get ejected on an off day. <laughs> he was in the dugout, not even pitching, not even in, in the lineup the other day for the Mets. And he was adamantly arguing balls and strikes with the home plate umpire. He got tossed in a day that he wasn't even on the mound. Uh, in the case of Bumgarner, too, it's fascinating because we've got so many layers, Josh, with this, this crackdown on the sticky stuff and the, the substances to, to improve grip for pitchers because 
there's a major crackdown, right? As we saw beginning mid last season and pitchers don't like that either. Just, just as, as they think things are getting out of control with balls and strikes, there's, it's a little lawless right now because guys are going to use substances. That's, that's what it is. Um, And that's just going to occur no matter what the case is. But I think those who are, are struggling with trying to do the right thing while also keeping in mind that like, that's the moneymaker, right? If you can't, if you can't grip a a baseball, like you used to, you're not going to produce like you used to. And therefore your livelihood is affected by it. So I think there are some, there's, there's obviously still a lot of gray area. There are some pitchers, they're toying with things in that gray area and some umpires are more okay with it than others. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a, a weird struggle right now between players and umpires players in the league, even despite us getting a new collective bargaining agreement and, and getting an actual full season. I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to detect what exactly is happening from this tweet from a Miami Herald writer who was at the game and talking to Tori Lovello, the Diamondbacks manager after the game. This is the tweet. Tori Lovello says, The umpire explained the reason why they tossed Madison Bumgarner. He wouldn't say it was something he said, leading to his ejection today. He said he was cleared on the substance check. So... He's not saying that it was something that Madison Bumgarner said, and he said that Madison was cleared on the substance check. Okay, no comments from Madison Bumgarner. Maybe we'll get to the bottom of this. Maybe we won't. Let's talk about teams that are very good in the sport, though. Who do you think the best team in baseball is? Because right now, as bad as New York football has been in the last few years, the Jets and Giants, woof. The Mets and Yankees are the two teams in baseball right now that have the most wins with 18. Yeah, and we saw the other day uh, a headline come across that it was the first time in Major League history that the four teams of, of the two L.A. teams and the two New York teams, all four of them led their respective divisions, even just for a day. It was the first time in Major League history. So the Angels are really good. Why wouldn't they be? They've got maybe the two best talents in all of Major League Baseball and Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. The Dodgers are still really good. I think maybe there's like a weird East Coast bias thing going on, as odd as that sounds, that a bias would go against the Dodgers. I still think the Dodgers are the best team in the league. They're leading the NL West. They are off to a raging good start, but it's getting a little bit overlooked because of the Yankees and the Mets who obviously deserve credit too, but I would go with the Dodgers and the Mets being the two best of those four at this current juncture. And the thing with the Mets is they don't even have the greatest pitcher on planet earth yet. Jacob deGrom has not thrown for them at this point and is set to re-enter the rotation at some point here in the the near future that, you know, the hope is maybe they get him by the all-star break and watch out when that happens, because obviously he adds a lot of value. We've got Wake baseball tickets that we're going to be giving away for Saturday's game against Louisville later on in this hour. Remember, we're up at 6 o'clock, so sometime between now and then in the next 20 minutes, your chance to go to the couch and watch Louisville, a really good program in town. Right now, we play Unusual Questions. Last week, guys, everybody made it out that I got mad at Josh and I left the press conference. That's not right. I thought it was an unusual question, and it's okay. It's time for Unusual Questions with Josh Graham. I want to start with some housekeeping notes. David tweets in, If you don't say Madison Bumgarner's from Hudson rather than Hickory, there might be pitchforks and torches headed your way. Hashtag (laughs) South Caldwell High School. And my friend Mike tweeted the show. Earlier today, we were talking about he lost our March Madness Challenge, and the punishment was half of the normal Waffle House challenge. We were being nice. The Waffle House challenge, for those who don't know, you have to sit at a Waffle House for 24 hours unless you eat a ton of waffles. For every waffle you eat, it's an hour off of your time, and obviously the amount of time you sit continues to go down as well. So 
Half of that would be 12. My guy this morning showed up at Waffle House at 4.30 on Peters Parkway in Winston. And he sat there for five hours and ate seven waffles. So I'll meet the last one. So that amounts to 12. The full 24 would be quite a, a, a chore if you think about it, Darren. But this is what Mike <laughs> just tweeted into us. Feeling good and strong. Thanks again for everyone who supported me on this journey. Special thanks to Josh for the radio. Shout out on that. So, yeah, congrats to Mike on getting that done. I guess this is where I'll start in unusual questions. How long would you sit at that Waffle House, Darren, if you were doing the full 24? Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I was just trying to do the calculating. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I can tank some waffles. He so. told me he was full after three waffles. And the last four that he ate, he ate on a full stomach. Man. Um, all right. So, like, maybe you get to 10. I think that's, like, a normal, but also brutal. That's where I'm at, too. going to be ambitious and, and brutal. So, like, I, I would top myself out at 10. I would not expect myself to get more than that. So, like, 14 hours. I mean, that's still such a long time to yeah. sit in a waffle house. I, I think I will show up, though. I think he's smart, though, showing up in the morning. Just get there, like, at 4 in the morning and sit there, and you're out of there by 6 in the afternoon. Get a quick power well, nap. You could still be productive at night. Hungriest time of the day, too, right? Like, you just get you get, you get get a, uh, a good night's rest. You know, you're 8 to 10 hours. You get up. You fast, right, until from the point from the point of what, like an hour or two before bed. You get 10, 10 to 12 hours there. Some of it's sleep. You haven't eaten. You show up at 4.30. You're just ready to devour. I don't know, though. Maybe you can't be too hungry when you walk in. A lot of strategy at play. Will, what's your unusual question? Hoodie or oversized shirt for loungewear? Hmm. Hoodie. I've seen hoodies. What? Mm. What's the setting? Describe loungewear. You're at home. You're chilling. You just you just got home from the show. Long day. Oversized shirt. See, I'm torn because I've got some great oversized shirts that are very comfortable. But I love a good. I'm probably gonna be with Darren Team. How hoodie. cool are you keeping your home? Yeah. See, that's me. I'm. I'm. I am. 65 to 68 degrees. See, I'm with Darren on this. So I layer up. I'm I with Darren. No problem up. We're at 69.70 in the Graham household. Oversized shirt. It is. I think that's what it comes down to. Darren, what's your unusual question? I would like to know. This is self-serving because we're doing this by phone because my internet is is being wonky today, and I'm hoping somebody can tell me. If this has an effect. So, you know, like your, your internet at home is affected when there is weird weather. Like, you know, a storm coming through can affect internet sometimes. That's at least my experience. They pressure washed my, my apartment complex today. So all day, the building has just been doused in water nonstop. Does that have any effect on my internet? Is that what... Should I Short answer, no. Long answer is there have been national internet outage outages today across the Have nation. There. Yeah, that's something I, okay. I learned earlier What's your today. provider? I'm Spectrum. Same. So I'm, I'm curious if I'm going to be without internet when I get home. All right, you might yeah, be. You might be. Oh, no. Sorry about that. Uh, here's an unusual question. You know I'm a huge fan of chocolate milk. I am. Love chocolate milk. Chocolate sauce or powder? Yeah, that's a that's a good question because I like that one. I've had plenty of experience with both Hershey's chocolate sauce or Nesquik powder. Yeah, what are you going yeah, I think with? I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna favor Nesquik. It's a different type of chocolate flavoring. Like if you guys remember the Nesquik cereal that they did for a while there, and obviously Nesquik has the rabbit mascot, which is funny because the cereal actually like looked like little rabbit pellets but it was it was a great cereal but it's not like 
when you see when you see a cereal based on chocolate milk, you're like, oh, okay, that's just going to be like it's just going to be cocoa puffs. But it's a very distinct flavor of chocolate, and I think the powder in milk gives you that distinction versus like the Hershey's syrup. It's a different type of flavor. See, this might be a deep cut milk uh, connoisseur answer, but I think short play. If you just need one glass of milk, then yeah, I'm probably going Nesquik. But the Nesquik stuff actually goes bad. I don't know if people know that. Like, like it could get like chunky and clunky the further you go. So in terms of consistency, I might go chocolate sauce, Hershey's. But if it's one glass of milk, chocolate milk, I'm going to go with Nesquik. No, I think that's a heady answer. Um, I don't know the context or, or, or the situation in which I would be like, do you do you put do you go to the store, buy a gallon of milk mm-hmm. for the purpose of putting the syrup in there and shaking it up so that you've got a gallon of chocolate milk? No. I don't do that. I I always so, so do it individually. Yeah, so I think your one glass. I I don't know if anybody would do that. I, but so to me, it would be more common to be just a one glass and done type of person, right? And if you make another glass, you can just mix up the powder again, and it's not like it's old powder in there that's gonna clunk up. Will, give me that question you tease. What is the most overrated food? Overrated. Overrated. Sounds like Darren has conviction on this. I do. I do. Lay it on us. I am certain that it is bacon. Oh, get out. Wow. Overrated? Bacon's great on so many things. What are you talking about? I look, I like bacon. But that people it's the Ron Swansoning of America (laughs) when Parks and Rec happened. And Ron Swanson declared that he wanted bacon on everything. People just decided that it was like the greatest food ever. And you have so many other things that you can eat that are better than bacon. Like, I get that it's a good accessory to just about anything. But bacon on its own, there's so much better options. All right. That's your answer. What about you, Will Dalton? For me, it's... Not even one specific food. It's just a type of food. Anything keto. I feel like it's very overrated. And maybe I just I don't maybe I just don't know enough. Well, you're about not on it. a keto diet. No, I'm not. But like I just you don't feel need like, to be on a diet. You know, yeah, you di- slap keto on a news. thing of ice cream. Oh, Break, I'm healthy breaking now. News. Diet Pepsi doesn't taste as good as regular Pepsi. Doesn't. <laughs> right? Like if you're on a diet, it's not going to taste as good. Breaking news. Those ads are lying to you. I just feel like keto is just a way to eat something that's not healthy and make you feel better about it. Deviled eggs is the answer. Like people Ooh, love dev- people love deviled eggs. It's horrific. There you go, Darren Vot. Appreciate the time, buddy. Of course, I'll see you guys. There he is, Darren Vot, joining us on the show today. That's been unusual questions.